Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast. As always, you guys know this podcast is presented by Scentlock. However, I want to talk about a different brand that is owned by Nexus Outdoors, and that is Whitewater Fish, um, Whitewater Fishing Gear. This stuff is absolutely phenomenal, guys. I am a, a pale white boy, so I've got to wear sun protection all the time, whether I'm out um, with the family at the beach or whether I'm at the water park, I've got to wear sun protection. So I've worn a lot of different stuff and Whitewater does fishing gear and, and lightweight summer wear really, really well. So guys head over to whitewaterfish.com and check out what I'm wearing is the Whitewater lightweight tech hoodie. Um, I also wear the Whitewater long sleeve tech shirt a lot. Anytime I'm out in the sun, if I'm on a walk or a hike, I'm wearing this stuff to protect me from the sun, keeps me cool, keeps me dry. It's moisture wicking. It's it's odor eliminating. This stuff is phenomenal, guys. Go check out Whitewater Gear at whitewaterfish.com. Guys, I am joined today by Thomas Crick from Identical Draw. These guys are great. These guys are phenomenal at land management. So me and Thomas, we jump into how do we create the best property that we can for whitetails. So we look at buying a new piece of, of ground. We use the example of 40 acres. And what are we going to immediately start doing to make that ground better for whitetails? What are we doing in the long run? What are we planting? What are we taking out? What are we doing on a yearly basis, on a, on a, on a monthly basis? What are we doing nutritional-wise, water? What are we doing to create the best ground possible for deer? It's a phenomenal episode. We also dive into kind of the natural progression that hunters should take. Should they start with a rifle and move to a bow? Should they start with a bow and move to a rifle? Guys, it's a really good episode. It's packed full of information to help you make your ground the best possible you can for your whitetails. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. I'm very picky about the nonprofits that I will support. Um, I look into them a lot. I don't just jump in and support anybody that says we're a nonprofit. Um, I met a, a friend of mine. His name is Jim Mesh, and he runs a memorial fund, a scholarship in his brother's name, the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. And what they do, they have a passion for getting kids involved in outdoors. So they host these events around the country uh, to get kids introduced to hunting, but also to raise money for their scholarship fund, which is the John V. Mesh Sh Scholarship. And what that is, is that's a scholarship that if any student is going into a field of conservation study, they can apply for this this scholarship. And it's a substantial scholarship. That's another thing. If, it, if they say we're a nonprofit, we do all this, and then they give you know, a $1,000 scholarship, then you're like, well, where does the rest of the money go? But they give a very substantial, substantial scholarship uh, to a student every year looking to go into a conservation field of study. So guys, maybe you are a student and you're studying some, some field of conservation. I would encourage you to apply for the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship, but also I would encourage you, everybody, to support this nonprofit scholarship fund, uh, whether it's through a one-time donation, a monthly donation, or attending one of their events, uh, or, or buying one of the things they have on auction uh, at these events. Support 
a company that's supporting our rights as hunters by furthering our conservation efforts by supporting students who are going into a conservation field of study. Guys, go check out the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship at johnvmesh.org. All right, Thomas. So before we get too much further into this, uh, give me a recap on you guys' spring. Did you guys go on any spring bear hunts, turkey hunts? What all did you guys do this spring? A lot of turkey hunts. Um, gosh, I think we might have hit um, five to six, five to six states. Um, uh, did some new ones like like Oklahoma, um, but uh, did the Wisconsin um, hunt in Nebraska. That's that's uh, our home state. Um, didn't hunt Nebraska as much as we normally do, but the time we did hunt, it was it was great. We uh, we killed like three birds in um, like nine hours or something. So we we made good time of our trip. Um, yeah. Um, Iowa as well. Um, that was my second year hunting Iowa. So yeah, we, we bounced around quite a bit. Haven't done the, the spring bear thing yet, but it's like every year I'm getting closer and closer to doing it. So, Oh, it's so much better than turkeys, dude. Do you, do you go out quite a bit? I try to go. So, so what I do and for sake of my wife and kids, really, I try to do every other year. Um, go on okay. a bigger spring bear hunt. So last year I went on a spring bear hunt. Uh, this year I actually had one booked. Um, I know it was back-to-back years, but I had one booked only because I had to work an event in Utah. So I'm like, well, I'm going to be, you know, three hours from where I hunt in Idaho. I might as well swing up and, and hunt for a couple of days. But then the event got canceled, so I didn't yeah. go on the bear hunt. So um, I love spring bear hunting, though, man. Um I'm not a, I'm not a giant turkey hunting guy. I mean, I'll go, I'll go once a year. You know, it's one of those deals where yeah. when a buddy invites me and wants to hunt, I'll go out and shoot a bird, but I just don't get fired up about it. So I love spring bear hunts. I spend a lot of time in the spring hog hunting, um, because to me, that's the best way I tell people all the time. That's the best way to refine your skills, test your equipment, you know, build confidence that that's a great tool because if you miss one hog, just keep walking for a while you'll find more you know um yeah. so that's what i do a lot of gotcha yeah so is that a spring bear hunt a rifle hunt for you in idaho definitely um yeah it's just well especially because why well, i say that if we're going spot and stock like in the so i either hunt in the boise national forest or i hunt with uh my outfitter there in mccall idaho you can bait in Idaho. So my outfitter baits. So if we're hunting over a bait barrel, it's absolutely a, a recurve hunt. Um, if I'm spotting a stalking in the Boise National Forest, it's absolutely a rifle hunt. Uh, yeah. The success rate with a bow there is like 2%. It's just insanely hard. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. The first time I ever went to the Boise National Forest, I took my bow and I'm like, this is stupid. Like you're never going to, this is nearly impossible. Yeah. And uh, so that first trip, I actually ended up, my buddy said, well, dude, this is the closest we're getting to this bear. And it was like day eight. And so I just grabbed his rifle and shot it. But yeah, that's definitely a rifle hunt for me if it's spot and stock. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And that's, that's what I would definitely do. It just, it seems like it's just a dark timber. Like you yeah. might just get a quick glimpse of the bear kind of thing, a couple hundred yards away. So yeah, for sure. Now, if you're hunting over bait, especially in the spring, dude, it's almost like pick your color. You know, I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're trying to hit that bait so much coming out of hibernation that it's, 
that I mean it's it's literally like just watching a parade of bears and it's like oh, I don't like that color let's wait for another color you know um so yeah that's definitely a a bow hunt yeah nice it's it's on the so, list to do we'll we'll be out there just so everybody knows I am incredibly excited um identical draw and myself uh we both kind of have a special recurve project in the works uh with bears both individual projects but they're both going to be really, really cool. So stay tuned. I'm not sure of the timeline on theirs. I know mine will come about mid August. Um, so stay tuned because you are going to want to watch identical draws process. You're going to want to hear the process and, uh, I'll have them back on and we can talk about, um, their process and everything they went through, but it is going to be really stinking cool. So, um, make sure and, and stay tuned for that this summer. Yeah, it'll be it'll be an awesome thing, and we can um, kind of talk about it more. And but it's it's something that Nate and I have have had in the works and and thought of for for a couple of years, and finally going to be able to make it happen. So we're excited. And you guys just went down to Gainesville, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, that was our first time, um, first time down there, and it was awesome seeing it all made. I mean, a lot of people don't realize like uh, made in the USA, um, a lot of the bear stuff down there. So it was great to see the the recurves being assembled and um, got a little sneak peek at what's coming this fall. So um, yeah, it was great to, great to meet everybody and, and see the facility. Yeah. Now I am, uh, there's two things I want to hit on, man. Bear archery is made r- right here. If you consider Florida, the United States, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but um, yeah. made right here in Florida. And, uh, and those what what I have come to to love about recurves is even though bear is quote unquote a mass produced recurve, you know they're not custom they're not custom bows, you know built for you to your specs, but they're they're mass produced. But yet those bows are still hand sanded. Every grip is hand sanded down. Every tip is hand sanded, and and so that's why, like if you pick up my Kodiak Hunter and and you feel it and you're like, ah, I don't really like that grip. Just pick up another Kodiak Hunter and the grip will be a bit different. Now, of course, they're trying to get them pretty close, but man, I've picked Kodiak Hunters up that I love way more than mine because it's got more of a narrow grip on it. Um, but all of those grips are, are hand sanded down. So each one's going to be a, a little bit different. Um, and that that's an incredible facility down there, man. It's I, I encourage everybody, even if you're not a bear guy, if you're just an archery lover, I encourage you to go check it out because it's really cool. Yeah, it it is. It's it's amazing. Like just everywhere you walk in there, like you you see like Fred Bear's stamp everywhere. Like yeah, equipment equipment he used, and like um, people that were even around when when Fred was um, was was there, like. It's just a, it, it's pretty awesome to, to just walk around the same facility, um, same office that, um, Fred had and, uh, just like, there's a legit wood shop. Like, like this stuff is being, yeah. like you said, hand sanded, like, um, it's, it's pretty awesome that it just like one guy does this one guy does this, like they've got their, their files out there filing down the, the wood. And it's pretty crazy to see the whole process. Did you get to meet Neil? When you were down there? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we met Neil. Yeah. He's, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know like 100% how to verify this, but he's like the last student of Fred Bear. Um, and so, yeah. you know, 
he's literally like the last living guy that was trained and taught by Fred Bear himself um, on how to make bows. And so he's literally like the last Jedi I, I view him as. But um, yeah, I'm really excited because he's he's going to be a large part of the the special process that uh, the the recurve project that I'm that I'm going to get to work on with him. And so uh, I'm really excited about that just to be able to say like. I got to work alongside Fred Bear's students. Like, that's so cool to be able to say, man. People, the amount of history that's found in that place is just unreal. Yeah, we were fortunate to be able to sit down with Neil and um, interview him a little bit. And the guy, you don't have to spend more than 10 seconds with him to understand how much he loves it and, like, how deep it runs, like, through him. Um and he's, yeah, he's extremely so he's super passionate about it still and is, is really the legs to that, to that company down there. And, um, Caleb, um, the, the marketing guy at bear, um, some, some, some listeners might know him. He, uh, he says that he's like, he's the archery industry's like best kept secret. Like, yeah, you know, like not a lot of people know about Neil, but like he, he is the most knowledgeable um, like recurve trad guy that exists today. You know, he, he's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've heard Caleb say that on a, on several occasions and he truly is. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really cool to watch Neil. Like if you watch him at ATA, um, or like one of the big traditional shoots in, in PA, if you watch him, he kind of just sh- sits back, man, and just watches and just, takes it all in and people are walking by this guy. And I'm like, if you just knew, like if you just knew the wealth of knowledge that could come out of this guy's mouth, if you were willing to ask, it would be insane, but he just sits back and watches and, and, you know, smiles. And then you, you hear him do like, he'll pick up a bow and do a, uh, introduction to the bow or something. You're like, wait a second. He knew way too many details on that bow. Like he knew the, the, the inner workings of that bow. And, uh, well, it's because he designed it and made it himself. Like, it's just, he is, he is really something special. And I'm excited to get to, to do this project with him guys. So make sure I I promise you, you're going to want to tune in identical draws, uh, uh, process through their their special um thing that they're doing and come mid-august you're going to want to tune in and listen to the interview with neil so um Sweet. well thomas we went down a big rabbit hole there but uh what i really wanted to talk to you about what i think you guys do and do really really well is a content be your content's phenomenal uh but your land management you don't see a lot of guys get so passionate about land management um, which I love. I, I, yeah. Dude, the amount of people that I'm like, they'll call me and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm out putting up tree stands or I'm out running cameras or trimming. And they're like, dude, it's 107 degrees outside. And I'm like, yeah, but what else are you going to do like this? <laughs> um, so I, I love seeing you guys dive into the whole process. So let's, let's start at the beginning. Let's just say person a buys a new 40 acre piece. Um, what do you guys start doing to really tackle that piece of property? Because what I like about you guys is it seems as though you guys don't just care about the deer. You care about the overall health of the property. And that's what I really enjoy about watching you guys do what you do. Um, so somebody buys a brand new piece of, of 40 acres or they lease it out um, and, and the landowner gives them full reign. You guys just go have fun. What do you guys start doing to really tackle the health of that property? 
That's a, that's a loaded question, but, um, it gets me jacked up just thinking about it. Like it's, it's really become a huge passion of ours. Um, we've only our, like our family only owns this 80 acres and we've had it for gosh. Um, now this will be our fourth fall that we'll be hunting it, um, and managing it all, all year round. But gosh, if somebody bought a little 40 acres and they had, um, full, full rain and they wanted to make this thing like just a wildlife Mecca, there's a couple things that I'm doing right away. There's a couple things I'm not doing right away. What we did, what we chose to do year one was do some basic good management things, but really see how the deer want to have been using that, that property. Like it's just, it's just became yours, but deer have been using that property for gosh, so many, so many years. And, um, they know yeah. how they want to use that naturally. So before, like, it's super tempting to get out the brush. I'd be like, I want to, I want a path here. I want a path here. I'd say if you, if you're able to, it depends when, when you get access to the property, but see how the deer really want to use that naturally. I'm doing some management things right, like right away. Um, if depending on when you get it during the year, but like if possible, like I'm absolutely, um, burning. And one thing that, um, we had some NDA guys, um, like Matt Roth come over to our property. Um, if, if you can afford to have somebody like that, come and check out your property and just give you, um, good insight about what to do. I highly recommend it. Even if you think like, you know, like you've got a pretty good background, you, you've got some good knowledge on what you want to do. It's always good to get a fresh set of eyes that, um, like are professionals in that. But the first thing he said to do, which we're still working on just cause our 80 is so thick. It's unbelievably thick with, with old timber. Um, so it's been difficult is he said, first thing is, um, path around the perimeter. And now I completely understand why, like one travel to be able to get a UTV or be able to access walking wise. If you have a smaller chunk, like we have, we have 80 acres, like you're going to use your, like your perimeter to access with certain wind directions. And when he first said that, I was like, okay, like we'll get like, sure. Like I understand that, but it helps so much on the management side of things. Cause then you've got your natural, like your natural fire line, fire break. And it's hard to argue like fire is the, the number one thing that's going to help your property. So I'm, if I have a new 40 acres, I'm absolutely burning as much as I can year one. Um, just seeing scouting how, how those deer are going to use that property. Um, and then future years, I'm, I'm doing TSI work, um, during, during the off season, we've done that. Uh, I mean, gosh, we've probably done timber stand improvement on over half of half our, I mean, probably 40, 50 acres. Um, we've done some TSI work, whether that's girdling or, or taking down, completely taking down trees. Um, it's, it's such a long process because most of the times, like you can't just start dropping trees. Like that's just not how the, the timber usually lies out. You gotta, it's a, girdle a couple of trees, um, let, let them fall naturally. And then you have the space to be able to drop stuff, but yeah, TSI work, um, fire planting, planting one or two food plots, perhaps that first year as well. Um, and then we've, we've gone into more long-term stuff. Like, um, we put in, uh, acre and a half, two acres of like switchgrass cause we just want to make some really good, really good bedding for them. And, um, we're kind of doing some bigger stuff now knowing how the deer use the property, how we can hunt it best. So year one, I'm saying just like, let the property do its thing, hunt it, how to put up, put up a lot of trail cameras and, uh, 
hunt it, hunt it how the deer want to use it. So now let's take a, a jump back to burning real quick. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like a lot of guys don't understand the benefit of that, or maybe they understand it, but they don't, <clears throat> they don't fully know how to, how to perform it. Um, you know, like myself, I don't have any property that I can burn currently. Um, so I don't currently practice burning because, well, first off, the farmers would kill me um, if, you know, I just started burning whatever I wanted to burn when I wanted to burn it. But um, so, A, when do you burn? B, how often do you burn? And C, what are all the benefits of burning? Yeah. So I'm not a professional, but I've just done it uh, on our own property for the last four years and, and watched a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of things on it. Um, one, when to burn. Uh, the, the popular time to burn is during like what's considered the dormant season. So um, everything's kind of based on humidity and, and the weather and, and wind and stuff like that. But any time from you can, you can get some even in January, January through, through, I guess if we're talking dormant season, that's kind of starting to peter out uh, mid April and then it's starting the green ups happening, but you can technically keep burning. If the conditions are right, you can keep burning through um, like the beginning of summer. It just depends if you want to burn when um, like turkeys are nesting and, and fawns are dropping and stuff like that. That's why a lot of people stop. Um, but so, yeah, that's kind of, there's also the kind of the late growing season burn um, that, that people will do in, in August and September, but it's kind of, it's just based on if there's enough fuel on the ground to be able to get a fire to eat up um, a lot of that, that leaf litter and, and there's still a decent amount of green up. Um, but a lot of that green up isn't holding near as much moisture during that time. So you can still get a burn in. Um, dormant season burn is more of a, a cleanup. It's, it's getting a bunch of old leaf litter um, and it's, it's, it's pushing back some um, like plant species that you don't want. That might just be kind of a, a year round thing, like multi-floor rows. Like it definitely kicks those back, um, inhibits the growth for at least a year or two. It, as often as you can burn, um, actually meat eater did a really cool uh, film. I think it was uh, with uh, Ryan Callahan. You can see that they burnt. Um, he was down on a Florida property that does a bunch of prescribed fires and they've been, gosh, they've been burning one piece, I think for like, like, uh, I want to say like 40 to 50 years in a row or, or something out, like something crazy like that. And then they've been burning one piece every year, like one piece every two years, one piece every three years and one piece every four years. You can just see the difference in growth. Um, a lot of reason why we burn and we, we do it, we do it every year. We'll burn all our brome. And then as much as we can get in the timber, it just depends. You have to have pretty, pretty low humidity days, a decent, a decent wind. Um, and some of those days are considered like the red flag warning. So you technically can't get a burn permit, but with in, inside of, inside of the timber, you need days that are like close to that. Cause you need your, when you're in the timber, you're, you're getting less wind and you just need as much wind as you can get through that timber to be able to push a fire. And those, those in the timber, fires are really the the game changing fires because that's where uh, most of your like woody shrubs that you're trying to get rid of are um so what else did you ask me dylan what else should i um like benefits maybe benefits of of a burn 
we do it a lot yeah. for we do it a lot for wildlife um it's they say that um if you can't burn like having like cows um and in the pasture is a is a similar thing because they keep the grass super low and that's also like I, a part of the reason why i think our turkey hunting is so good in northeast nebraska um and it, it really hasn't seen a decline in the last couple of years because there's so much grazing up there that's basically like all these acres getting prescribed fire every year because it's being cut back and it's it's the perfect height for all these um poles to be able to walk through and hence hens hen nesting ground and stuff like that so we burn i always say like we really manage the um our 80 acres for the turkeys because it's kind of hurting in in our area of kansas but it's it does so much for the deer for all the other wildlife that are using um we have quail on our on our 80 as well so um it just it cuts everything back um uh, a more open um forest floor that um animals can walk through maneuver better um all sorts of height of vegetation is great um for for especially turkeys and and stuff like that um and then you're also just getting you're getting you're getting soft soft forbs that are much easier to eat for the deer and much more preferred so a lot of reasons that's kind of like the um non-professional take on on burns and why we do it but it's a whole thing that once you get into it it's a rabbit hole <laughs> yeah absolutely. so you guys mentioned you guys mentioned taking out trees um <clears throat> what kind of trees like when you walk onto that new 40 acres what kind of trees that that you see and you're like yeah i'm getting rid of you like you you gotta go yeah so every every area um across the u.s is gonna have have different tree species but i'll just take if it's if it was a 40 acres that had similar timber to our 80 acres um there's there's two two thoughts here it's um like what, what does the tree do for wildlife? And then, um, like, is there, is there enough, it, like, does it make, could it make me money in the, in the lumber market? So like, depending on how those, um, questions are answered, we get some trees we get rid of right away or like hedge, honey locust. Um, well, if there's, if the cedars are too thick, we're getting rid of cedars. We're getting rid of crappy walnut because, because deer, um, don't eat walnuts. We're getting rid of, um, um, some hackberry. We might hinge cut some hackberry. We're hinge cutting some elm. Um, there's certain trees that if you cut down and let them sprout, the deer will go nuts and, and eat the sprouts. So, but if, if we just want nothing of the tree, we'll cut it down or girdle it and then treat, you gotta always treat the, the stump or you're going to have that tree growing back super fast. It's, it's pretty crazy how resilient some of these trees are even if you treat the stump they they want to they want to come back and make a make a fight for it but um trees that um we want to try to keep around i mean yeah your your classic oaks um again i said remove some cedars but we also want to keep some cedars around but you really want to go for that um third like if we're looking at a hillside a grassy hillside with some with some cedars you want like maybe a 30% coverage. Like you don't want this thing choked out cause there's no life underneath. If you ever look under like a cedar bell, like there, there's no life exists under there. So you want to make sure that there's not too much, um, not too many cedars I'm trying to think, um, 
what else? Ash. Um, they'll they'll eat the eat the um, sprouts coming out of the stump of ash. Um, so biggest thing has been kind of um, making sure our oaks aren't too crowded. Crowded oaks um, won't produce as well. So we we'll, we'll actually take down an oak or two if it's too crowded. Um, but yeah, we love a good oak stand. Yeah, my uh, one of my buddies just this last year, we went out to put up cameras and uh, he was he was telling me on the way there. He's like, yeah, this place, the the floor of the forest was just barren because there was so much coverage. And he's like, so yeah. last year I cut down a whole bunch of trees. And he's like, I'm really anxious to see what happened to the forest floor. And, and like that never even dawned on me. And we go out there, especially here in Kansas, because you just don't think of like incredibly thick woods, you know. Um, yeah. And so we go out there and, and it was just all green. I'm talking like knee high green. And I was just like, wow, dude, you made a massive difference. Throw up a camera. And sure enough, dude, the deer are using that like crazy. And uh, yeah. and I was just like, man, I, that never would have even dawned on me to like just to 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 get the sun in here and, and maybe that's my simple minded when it comes to management but you know those guys you you're that type of person you just think differently you think about you know the management of that property as a whole and and you know I think if if myself included but I think if more hunters would think about those things like we would have these better properties and uh sure enough man my buddy did that and that property has just turned into something special um my son also got poison ivy all over him from that piece of ground. But, um, yeah, is it true that deer actually like poison ivy? Dude, they love it. It's like, it's a preferred food and we have that same issue cause it's all over our 80 and I get it like once or twice a year, um, every year. And we want to spray some of it. Like we'll spray it on some paths, but I mean, they, they, they'll eat the crap out of it. That's awesome. I mean, I, you just never, yeah. You never think about that type of thing because, again, it's like I want to get rid of it because it it affects me in a negative way. Um, right. I'm not allergic to it, so I've never worried about it. But um, people are, are, you know, they think about I don't want to get poison ivy every time I want to go turkey hunt or, or put up cameras or hang new stands. And yeah. so they want to spray it and kill yeah. it. Um, and and normally, you know, if if I'm thinking about the properties that I've had access to over my lifetime – most of the time guys kill it before they can realize the deer like it. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Most of the time guys want to get it out from around their stands and stuff before they realize, man, the deer actually were eating that. Yeah. What, what gets us. And I, I think the reason I always get it is because that poison ivy just vines up the tree. And even when it's yep. not leafed out, if you get that on there, like usually I think I'm, I'm what happens to me is I cut it with a, a saw. If I'm dicing up a tree, and I'm moving the lumber and then I'm like wiping sweat off my face. And I'm like, I wasn't like that. I think that was getting me like once or twice. And then I realized like no more wiping my face with my glove like that. That would always screw me over. Yeah. Yep. Well, what's funny is um, I was videoing some of this and my son had poison ivy and it, it was just like a, a scratch down at both sides of his face, just like that. And you could almost see the fingerprints where it was. Yeah. And I was videoing some of us. Uh, I was doing some tips for Scentlock um, on summer properties. And so I was videoing this, and I put the camera on my son, and he was trying to say woodpecker, and he kept messing up. And he gets frustrated, and he just goes, oh. 
and rubs his fingers down his face. And my wife said, you idiot. <laughs> that right there on camera is when he got the poison ivy on his face. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I've, what we've done now is every time, um, before we leave after like a big day of lamb management or like canyon stands or something is we take a really hot shower. And I think that is actually, if you can get those oils off of you or like a, yeah, if you can just like not let them sit, I think that helps a ton. Um, and I think, I think I was my last trip down there. I definitely had poison ivy everywhere, but I didn't get any cause I, cause I did that pretty, pretty quickly after I was in it all. So that's, that's one tip that's helped me avoid it a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what kind of trees are you guys adding? Like when you look at a property, what, what, a, I'm, I'm, I mean, you have to look at what's there. If, the, like you said, if there's a bunch of oaks, you're not going to plant oaks. But, um, what kind of trees do you want for your deer? Yeah. Um, gosh, there's like, we don't really we we don't always look at adding trees as like for like a food source or any or any sort of sort of thing like that. And and talking to talking to the land managers we've had out there they're like there's just so much food out here like if you want to plant trees for like a legacy thing go ahead but um it's just such a long process if you're um if you're not bomar planting like 100 apple trees in his uh food plot like what we'll do is um we we planted some oaks out there we planted um some persimmon and that's that's basically it um we just we have so much to work with already and there's, there's also like a lot of seed, um, natural seeds in the seed bank, um, the soil. So, um, it, it's kind of just come down to like, what do you want to do with your property? Do you want to plant trees? Like we don't, we don't have any maples out there. And I'm like, do we want, do we want to add maples out here? That's something we've always thought about, um, doing. Um, but yeah, we always just, we kind of just, when it comes down to trees, it's like, where, what trees do we want to maybe potentially hunt, hunting, um, down the road? Um, or like what, what, tr- what trees we want our kids to potentially hunt in, um, our field edge from our main food plot is just crappy timber. It's, it's, it's honey locust and hedge. So it's very crappy to hang in. So we're like, let's, let's plant some, some oaks and persimmon along this edge and way down the line, my kids, um, could potentially hunt in it and my, my grandkids could, could hunt in it. So, um, it'll just be a lot better field edge than what we have now. So when it comes to, to adding trees, it's, it's a long term, long term process usually, but, um, it just kind of comes down to what, what do you want to do? So you, you don't add any fruit trees mainly because you don't need any extra food sources. Um, but if a guy was to get a piece of ground and there's not a ton of natural food sources, do you recommend adding fruit trees? You you could, or do you recommend going another route? Yeah, I, like it's not a bad, it's not a, like a also like, it's not a, like a, a, a bad thing to supplement. Like you might, you might as well plant some, plant some trees if you can. Um, if you can buy them a little bit older, so like you're not waiting, if you can buy a, like a 15 foot tree and get it in there, then, I mean, you're going to have benefits much sooner than if you buy a little, little saplings or something. So, um, but when it comes to food, I, I'd say there's quicker ways to do it. And that's like, that's like cutting the timber and like letting all that natural stuff come up. Like you're going to have deer in there so much faster and, and hitting that stuff so much harder than um, the mass that might be produced from a fruit tree. 
Now, do you guys do any kind of of supplication? Uh, I'm sorry, supplementation uh, for your deer? Um, any kind of of minerals or anything like that? Yeah, um, in, in Kansas, obviously legal to 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 bait and and run supplements and mineral. We um, we Maybe. run mineral. They're during- trying to pass a new law. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I did hear about that. How are they going to regulate? So that? we'll see. That'll that'll be interesting. I don't know. It, because they say it's anything that that makes a deer congregate in one area. Uh, so water, but it's like how big does that water source have to be? How big does that food source have to be? I mean, if it's a you know a a, a pond, a pre-existing pond that you know isn't big, but it's a pool of water. Well, how do you say that that's wrong? Because it's natural. Yeah. It's just. I mean, it might only be a 10 foot wide, you know, hole in the ground that holds water, but that's still going to congregate them in a pretty small area. Um, So I don't know, man, that was my biggest question. Um, Or how big does a food plot have to be? Um, I don't know. Yeah, we, we, even though we're in Kansas, we've just like, we grew up in Nebraska, no bait state, and we have never run, run bait through the season. And our neighbors think we're crazy. Like, everybody we talk to you thinks we're crazy. We just, like, we don't need to. We just, we, we love seeing the deer, like, move through naturally, and they, they do every year. Um, even during the, we'll, we'll run, like, supplement mineral throughout the, the winter, spring, summer, because just for, basically, just for trail cam picks, like, they, like, nutritionally they don't need any of it like they can um we talked to actually doug Dern quite a bit about it um because he's all big on the cwd and, and although we don't have that where we're at in kansas um like supplementing is definitely something that we're actually like we're working towards getting away from it just because deer don't need it um and it can just sprout disease um but yeah i don't know we we just really want those trail cam photos um, mid to late summer. And that's, that's the reason we're doing it now. Yeah. So what, what are you, what kind of supplements do you run to get those, those pictures? Yeah. So we'll put, um, we used to work with a, a company called next level with your supplements and, and they, they make great products. We still run some of their, um, their supplements. They make a good mineral too, but um, we're, we're usually, we have some specific mineral sites, um, but then we'll also just run some of the, the pellets, maybe mixed with some corn. Um, and basically the corn helps to just feed through the feeder better, but, um, that's that basically what we'll do in one or two spots. Gotcha. Yeah. Very cool, man. So do you guys, have you ever tried, I mentioned water, uh, and that's something that on one of my pieces of ground, particularly this year, I'm running water, uh, because see what happened was, so 2021, the place was just incredible. I mean, deer everywhere, big bucks everywhere. 2022 comes around, and I put out a trail camera um, probably this time of year, July, and I ran it all the way through the end of the year. Um, and when I say a tra- three trail cameras is what was on the property, and I saw one forky all year long. And I'm like, what in the really? world? Like what happened from 2021 to 2022? And like, I'm trying to think about like, did somebody build a house on the backside of this? I don't know about, or something like I'm thinking about all these things. And, uh, 
And the other guy, the guy that owns the property next to me is very particular. Like, so I'm not going to, I wasn't going to go on his ground to look at anything, but I finally run into him at a, at a, at a gas station. And he said, yeah, dude, my pond was bone dry all year long. And so I like, that was the only source of water anywhere near those deer. And so I was just really? like, well, now I know why my property sucked. Um, and so I have started running water tanks on that property. Um, have you ever done any kind of water tanks? I know uh, people in Kansas that have like a water tank is like a big pile of bait. Like it is nuts. The deer that come in, come into water tanks. We have, we're fortunate to have a Creek that comes like all the way North and South through our ground. That's like, even during dry years, it's got water in it. So it, it, it's harder to um, get deer to like, to basically um, have some water, like a specific water source for them to get trail cam photos. But we run, like we run so, so many trail cameras along the Creek because they're always using it as travel and, um, and stuff like that. So. Gotcha. I, um, I'm new to water holes and I was just kind of working this through my mind. I'm like, well, how big does it need to be? How, you know, how do you keep it from not just getting nasty because it's stagnant water and, and yeah. do you bury it or just set it on top? And I mentioned it on one podcast and I had uh, a very successful hunter. Um, one of my mentors, if you will, um, he's killed like four deer over 190 with a recurve. I mean, just a cred incredible hunter. And he starts sending me a bunch of photos of deer at watering holes. And he's like, it absolutely works in Kansas and you need to do it. And he just had like, barrel the black barrels that you put out for your yeah. cows sit on top of the ground didn't bury them or anything and and um i'm like well how does that not just get disgustingly you know green and full of algae because it's just you know a stagnant little pool of water and so yeah i'm just kind of still working through how to successfully do water holes in my head yeah no i've heard people i feel like it's becoming more popular to to find water to hunt over if, even if you're hunting public um somewhere but um yeah i've heard especially in like central central and western kansas people have such success hunting yeah. over water now i did i've already learned a trail camera tip for that though hmm. if you put What's a trail that? camera on the water hole put it high and pointing down into the watering tank that way you can not only see the deer but you can make sure that there's still water in your water tank without having to go out and check it all the time you, you know, just as the cell camera pictures come in, you just, you can see, oh man, that there's no more water in there. I need to go, I need to add water. Um, yeah. and you don't have to go out there and check the water source all the time. You can just see, you can see down into the tank from your camera angle. Yeah. I know those guys that just run those huge giant tanks in the back of their truck. They pull up to it and, and just let yeah. it flow. And cause those deer will just run through that water. Yeah. Now the benefit of this, this ground I'm talking about, um, probably 200 yards from where I want to put water tanks, there is a water faucet with a, a, you know, I could just run a water hose and just crank it up and it's my in-laws. So I don't care about cranking their water bill up. Um, so that, that'll be perfect for the, for the piece of ground. Cause I can just run a water oh, hose a out there and turn it on. And yeah, I mean, just, perfect. you know, screw it into the bottom of the tank and turn it on and then turn it back off. And when it gets low, just do it again. I mean, yeah. Not, so I'm excited about it, man. I think, um, I think it'll make a big difference out there for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, next time I'm on, give me an update there. I want to I want to see how it is for you. I will. Yeah, cool. when we come on to do our recurve project yep. episode, I will uh I'll share that cuz I uh I did I, I did hold back a little bit this week. I was like, I'm going to go and work on that piece of ground a little bit. And then the last two days it was like 109 and I'm like, ah, I'll probably wait. <laughs> so yeah. I'll be out there as soon as it cools off just a bit. Yeah, we used to do so we used to do so much summer work, but now it's like we get all like we're basically like ready for the season like the end of March. Like we do like all of our work yeah. um during the off season and then just kind of hang it up for the summer, stay off of it. Maybe maybe get there like once or twice a month, see how things are doing, check some cams and then then it's go time. Yeah. What do you guys got planned this fall? Any big hunts? Yeah, we've got we've got a busy like it it's one of those things like where we like drew drew a lot of tags like we were lucky, but it's just that it's like a busy, busy fall. Um Nate and I both have have kids, so it's we're always battling like how much time we can really be gone and, and keep keep the home life happy. So but we're starting out. Um Nate drew a good archery elk tag. Um we've actually got a my I had the tag last year, um, the most insane hunt. I've ever had like I told him it might be like our most action-packed episode we've ever dropped. Um, it's not live yet, but I think it's going to be live Monday, so people listening can tune into that. Um, so he got that archery elk tag. It's gonna it's a Colorado tag. Um, I'm heading to uh, Idaho on an archery tag that I got. Um, been been to this unit before, killed a buck there. Um, it's not like a super high deer density unit, but there's good bucks around, so we'll have to work for it. Um, but we should find some deer and then. Um, late September going with, um, some buddies that actually we met through our new hunter program. There's, they were the first, um, guys that we actually took out back in 2020. Um, we're hunting with them in Wisconsin. Um, that'll be our first time hunting deer in Wisconsin. Um, so that'll be fun. Then little break home and we're going to South Dakota. Um, drew, the, drew those archery tags as well. Um, we got, Nate and I got lucky. We both drew, drew Kansas. Um, we technically have one landowner tag, um, but just with how it's getting harder to draw that tag as non-resident. So we are like, let's both just go into the non-resident draw thinking that we won't both draw, but we both drew, um, which is fine. Um, we'll definitely take that. And then I actually pulled my first, first ever, uh, Colorado rifle tag. It's actually going to be my first rifle tag ever. Um, I just, we, we always grew up bow hunting. So I've never, I've never even killed a deer with the rifle. I've, I've been on many, many hunts where other people do. I've, I've mentored people, um, that have killed uh deer with rifles. Um, but th- that'll be my first rifle in ever Colorado elk. Um, yeah, I mean, November, we try to dedicate to, um, Kansas, a little bit of Nebraska. Um, uh, we've got some Nebraska muzzleloader hunts. Um, the one tag I didn't draw was Iowa. That's fine. Um, I I think by this time in the fall I'll be I'll, I'll be getting to my point where I feel I've got a pretty full freezer hopefully. And um, but yeah, we like states like Oklahoma is that's kind of like a last minute like are we gonna maybe dip over there? Um, North Dakota is kind of always on the will, will we will we head up there for a short trip? But um, yeah, it's it's gonna be here before we know it, and we've got. It just another busy year, so I can't wait. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah. Idaho is one of those states where non-resident bear tags are so cheap that you should always have one in your pocket. Um, yeah. And guys that guys don't believe me and they'll be on deer hunts or elk hunts and they're like, dude, I had a bear come into 10 yards. I should have bought a bear tag. I'm like, yeah, I told you you should have. And, uh, so definitely have a bear tag. I mean, cause they're like 180 bucks, um, for a non-resident bear tag. So I think everybody should have one in their pocket all the time. If they're in Idaho. Do you know what, um, the fall season is for the bear? Uh, it pretty much runs in correlation with the elk season because last year when I was on my elk hunt in Idaho, I bear hunted too. Um, Idaho bear fall season. Um, Try to. August 30th through November 18th. Okay. Just long. Yep. Trying to think if I've ever seen black bear in that unit. Oh, wait. Hold on. That's for a, that's for one unit. That's a two bear. Oh. Um, Probably. Oh, here we go. Um, no fall season. No fall season. It depends. You yeah, I mean, yeah, October ish, middle of October through end of September looks like for most units. Yeah, so October through sep- September. Yeah. Gotcha. Some just October, but some starting in August going all the way. Yeah. August through. Yeah. Gotcha. A couple of these units like open August, shut down mid-September, open again October. Yeah. But yeah, most of the time in there. Yep. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, it is, it's fun, man. And, um, I, I just love bears. I just have a little bear addiction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to do it. I want to do it bad. And it's just like, I've, I, I, tags are easy to get and it seems like it's a, it's a pretty fun hunt and it's like, gives you something to do all like if you go out during the spring too. So. Oh crap. I messed up again. I told you wrong again. I was looking at the dates for dogs being prohibited oh okay looks like every single unit for for just fall hunting is august 30th through october 31st or november 30th so you either have august okay to the end of october or august through the end of november that's what it looks like that makes sense depending depending on the the unit you either have august end of August through the end of of September or August through the end, or I'm sorry, August through the end of October or August through the end of, of November. Nice. It's pretty liberal yeah. season. I was That's looking fair. at dog dates. I doubt you have bear dogs, but maybe you do. Nope. Don't do not. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, so which hunt are you most looking forward to this year? Man. Um, good question 
either probably either the rifle hunt. mule deer that, that rifle hunt. I, I mean that that it just seems like um i've never hunted hunted elk during that time of the year and it'll be a first thing for like a new thing i love doing the new the a new hunt every year so um it's got to be that and just because i've i've never killed an elk i've been extremely close many times um so i just feel like that the the tag is um i've got a higher chance if, if we hunt it like like we we have in the past like i should be able to get a decent bull on the ground so yeah that's exciting, man. I'm I'm anxious to hear yeah. about it. Um yep. I, I do find it interesting that you've never rifle hunted before. So yeah. being and, and you guys do a lot uh, for new hunters, especially with new hunter dot work. Um there's two schools of thought there. You know, kind of the old school of thought is like you're gonna start with a stinking stick bow and you gotta earn your right to hunt with a compound. And you've got to earn your right to hunt with a, a rifle. Uh, that's kind of that old school way of thinking, you know, um, whereas the new way of thinking is more of like, well, let's get them started as young as we can with a rifle. And then then when they get, you know, more confident, we can move them to a bow and, and move them to a crossbow and then move them to a bow. And then if they want to hunt with a recurve, they can. Uh, so it's almost like a flip flop for the new for the new younger generations. What do you think about that? I mean, what do you think? Being a dad, a uh, but also, you know, working a lot with new hunters, what do you think about the the natural progression of, of hunting? What do you think it should yeah. be? I, I just, I, I think it's easier. Like uh, just before this podcast, I was in the backyard um, shooting the apprentice bow with my um, almost four year, four year old. I think like as far as um, kids getting into it and new hunters, I think it's very important to know both. I feel like it is easier um, and less intimidating to start out um, with a bow or, or crossbow. Like I, I'm actually a, a big crossbow proponent for when people are starting out. Now um, I do think that I, I would be okay with hearing like a, um, change to certain crossbow regulations with the season timing that they have. Um, just cause I mean, at the end of the day, it, it is much easier than it's than a compound archery hunt. Um, but I'd love them for getting kids, like getting kids shooting and getting new hunters, um, shooting as well, just because it's not intimidating. It's extremely easy, um, to be hitting bullseye out, out, out to 40 yards, like after a couple shots, um, so I don't know. I think like, I wish, uh, I would have been introduced to rifle hunting. Um, and I didn't have like, it's, it's, it's still intimidating to me just cause I haven't like, I know the process of, of rifle hunting and how to set, how to, how to mount a scope, how to do all this, the rifle stuff. But I just, I've never shot a shot a deer with, with a rifle. I mean, I've muzzle loader hunted and done that whole thing, but, um, I, I mean, I, I just think as, as a hunter, my take is, uh, learn as much as you can. And like, don't, the more, you know, um, rifle wise, muzzle loader, archery wise, just the better hunter you are. So I've always felt like a little gap in my, in my hunting, just because I haven't, I haven't done like the full, the rifle thing a ton. Um, so I'm excited to really, really dip into it. And, um, I know I'm, I know I'm going to like it. I, 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 I'm not against rifle hunting at all. Um, I, I apply, I, I've been applying the last couple of years for, 
for good rifle tags that I know I'm hoping to get down, down the, down the line. Um, but the, the opportunity with archery is just, is amazing. And, um, something about getting in tight with the bow has just kind of kept me on the bow side of things. Yeah. Well, I get that question a lot of like, I'm trying to get my kid into hunting. What should the natural progression be? And I'm like, whatever they want Mm -hmm. it to be, you know, like don't, don't force your kid to hunt with a rifle if they're like, but dad, I want to hunt with the bow. That's okay. That's fine, son. Well, you're going to have to wait a couple more years uh, because you, your draw weight's not heavy enough to hunt with a bow yet. And if that's yeah. what they want to do, so be it. You know, if, if they want to hold out and, and start with a, a bow, great. If they want to jump in, I mean, don't make them say, well, son, you've got to hunt with a bow because that's how men do it. Right. If they want to shoot a deer with a rifle, let them shoot a deer with a rifle and then work them into that bow. I mean, you know, I, I am more of the, you know, and I see it from both ways uh, because, you know, working for Pope and Young, I, I get to to rub elbows with a lot of the old school guys. And they're like, a kid shouldn't get a rifle first off. Like they have to to go out and earn their their keep uh, before they get a rifle. And, you know, hearing them talk about it, I, I understand that that field of thought. And I understand the new field of thought of, like, let's get them started as soon as we can. And then we can work them into a bow. I've kind of just adapted in the middle and said, well, I think we should just hear a kid out. And however they want to start, my son's a straight killer. Like, he just wants to kill stuff. So mm-hmm. I can go ahead and almost bet he's going to want to start with a rifle because he wants to just start as early as he can. Um, yeah. But however, if he says, man, dad, I just want to do it with a bow, then that's fine, dude. Let's wait. Let's, you know, let's wait a couple years or, hey, dude, here's the option of a crossbow. And if, you know, if that gets him excited and he wants to go out and use a crossbow, so be it. But I am all for hearing the kid out and letting them get into it how they want to get into it. You know, if if they want to jump in with a rifle, let them do it. If they want to hold out and do it with a bow, let them do it. Um, Yep. But to your point, I don't think the 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 idea of being well-rounded outdoorsmen is just lost. Like, I don't think people care about being well-rounded at all. It's just this is what I like to do, so this is what I do. Yeah, dude, I absolutely I don't like turkey hunting. I, I don't like. I, that's no secret. If you've listened to this podcast, you know it. I get so many comments about how I'm an idiot for not liking turkey hunting. That's fine. I do it once a year. I want to go out and kill a bird because I want to stay well-rounded in that. You know, I want to stay, I want, I want to be a well-rounded outdoorsman. My idea, the biggest question, when I switched to shooting a recurve, the biggest question I got was, so are you all in like you hundred percent traditional now? No, no, because I, I started shooting a recurve to be more well-rounded, not to be one-sided. I don't want to be traditional only. I want to hunt with a recurve. I want to hunt with a compound. I want to go to Arkansas and hunt with a rifle with my dad. That's, I mean, I want to be well-rounded. I want to be well-versed. And so, no, I'm never going to be one-sided. Uh, well, I hope I never become one-sided. Um, because I, I enjoy honing a craft and I enjoy woodsman skills. And so I think, that's something. So I, I admire that about you to say, you know what, I, I need to do this because I need to be more versed uh, because I think that's just kind of lost on, on the outdoorsman these days. 
Yeah, I love uh, like that. that I, that's also one reason I love like the land management side is I, I feel like a more well-rounded hunter. And then like also just last year getting in really heavy with muzzle loaders, that was always an intimidating thing. Um, yeah. So it can like, be learning that whole thing and, and like weighing, weighing out um, the powder and, and doing that whole thing. It, it was really intimidating learning. Um, but it's, it's been like, it's a like being a redneck chemist. Yeah, exactly. And like all the, the horror stories of, of like double charges and like, I don't know. That just kind of, that just as a hunter, that's kind of the life you live, like the life you choose. Um, but just being well-rounded and, um, having like archery, muzzleloader rifle hunts throughout the year, um, doing, doing things on your own. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's the type of hunter I, I always strive to be. Yeah. And that's, I admire that dude. Like when's the last time, like you talk to these big, bad, you know, elk hunters and I'm like, when's the last time you just went out and squirrel hunted? Like I've never squirrel hunted. I'm like, why not? It'll make you a better elk hunter. Like if if yeah. you learn to kill squirrels, it'll make you a better elk hunter. Um, if you learn to go out and bow fish, I don't. I mean, I'm just trying to think of something. It makes you better in the in the end. Um, like last year, I went out and and coon hunted quite a bit, and it's just funny how like coon hunting made me a better deer hunter. I, I believe that. Yeah. Um, because you're 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 stalking through the woods and you're hiding in the shadows still. And you're, you know, you're trying to get close to, to coons. It's going to make you a better woodsman all around. Um, nighttime coyote hunting, like thermal coyote hunting. You're like, there's no way that has any kind of, but when you're watching deer through thermals and you, you see how, and, and you see how they respond to gunshots going off when your buddies are shooting, shooting you know coyotes at night like when you see how they respond to those types of things it makes you understand them more and so it's just man i just encourage everybody try something new like do something different whether it's that was bear hunting for me like i specifically said i want to go on a bear hunt just to do something new um that was hog hunting for me i want to go on a hog hunt just to do something new and then I learned, I'm like, man, when you start hog hunting, you can really get a lot better at, at sneaking through the woods because you get so many opportunities to do it on these hogs. Um, so man, I'm, I'm just, I'm a big proponent of being well-rounded and trying new stuff and, and honing your craft and being a well-rounded woodsman. Yep. Every hunt is different and you learn different, like every species gives you a different, like, uh, a different thing to sharpen. Like one, like one thing with yeah. turkey hunting is like, it, it's going to teach you to not move. Tur- like the yeah. turkeys will be on you in a second. It's going to teach you to be still. Um, same with antelope hunting. Like you like one wrong move and they're, they're a mile away. Elk hunting is going to teach you like, Hey, like, like you can be a little louder walking through, but like, like your smell is like number one priority. You're like reading the wind is number one priority. Like there's just something different on each, um, and in each hunt, each situation that you're going to be doing something a little different and it's going to sharpen you a little bit. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. So I'm a big proponent of, of, of that. And, uh, and so I admire you for saying, you know, I've never done this, but I need to learn and I need to, I need to grow and I need to do it. I need to experience it. Um, that's cool, man. I am. I'm excited to watch all this unfold. I I think you guys are going to have a big season and I can't wait to, to watch it. Yeah, we'll be dropping 
a lot of the, um, a lot of September and some October stuff right away. Um, and then we always save some stuff to, to drop in the summer. So now what is your, what's your biggest, let's go back real quick. I ask everybody uh, for a tip, a hunting one one uh, field note or tip or trick. So since the, the meat of this episode has been about land management, what's your number one land management tip? I wrote it down actually, cause I was thinking about it when we were talking about like the, the 40, like the 40 acres that we were um, talking about if you're a new landowner. So many people um, want their land to just look pristine. They, they mow it. They like make like they'll mulch paths. I'm like deer. They want it messy. Like be okay with if you're a land manager, having that messy look, dropping trees, having piles, like just be like, even like, I struggle with this a little bit. Like every tree I drop, I want to dice up. I want to stack it. I want to do all this stuff. Just like be okay with the unorganized feel and um, kind of the messy feel of being a land manager. Cause the deer, they prefer it that way. Like they want like, sure. Like they'll, they'll use a path cause they're always looking for that least resistance, but um, like be okay with, with letting things lay and, and grow up and look nasty. Cause um, the wildlife are going to use it that way. That's awesome, dude. One of the tips that, that you shared in the beginning that I thought was really good. Don't impose your will on it. Like look at the, look at the deer and how they want to naturally use it. And then, encourage the way they want to naturally use it. But so many guys, they just go in and impose their will on a piece of ground. They're like, Oh dude, food plot here would be dope. The deer don't want a food plot there. Like that's not how they're naturally using this piece of ground. Um, or, Oh dude, I'm going to, like you said, brush hog a path through here. Well, that's not the natural path the deer are taking. So if you want to brush hog a path, why not brush hog the path the deer are naturally taking? So I really liked that tip of just back off, man, and watch the deer, see how they want to naturally use the piece of ground before you go in and just impose your will on it. Uh, because so yeah. many guys, like if they get a new lease or they get a new piece of ground, they're just like, oh, man, this would be cool to do this right here. And But that's not how the deer want it. Um, that's not how they're using it already. So rather than just going in and, and manhandling a piece of ground, watch. Spend a whole year watching the deer. <laughs> And how they want to use it. Where do they want to bed? You know, you said you're putting in bedding. Where do they want to naturally bed before you put that bedding in? Like, that's just a, a really cool tip in my mind, man. Because so many guys just, they just think, well, this is how the deer should should have it. So this is what I'm going to do for them. Yeah. Yeah. And one other piece I'll just um, piggyback off of there. When you start making big changes, like, we would uh, see how the deer use the ground every year. And then we make changes to like how, like to positively affect how they were using it. But we noticed like every single time we do that, they would then do their own, like another different thing. So like, like don't put, if you make some big changes, thinking that the deer are going to do this, don't put all your eggs in the same basket because oftentimes they will see what you've done and and they might use it like how you think. But a lot of times they're actually going to do something a little bit different. And we noticed that, like we can't wait to get to a stage where we're just like the, the changes we're doing are just kind of like maintenance. Like we're like, we're burning like every year. Those are things that are always going to happen, but like we can't wait for our TSI projects to be done. Like uh, I think we're at a stage where like our food plots are what they're going to always be. 
but I like when we were adding food plots and doing that stuff, like we saw big, big, big movement changes. So once, once you get to that stage where you're just doing the maintenance stuff and the deer are using it, like no, no big changes are happening. That's when you really like can focus in and, um, see what those deer are doing every, like the same every year. So I know that this is a, a loaded question because it largely depends on what you get, but how far out do you think that is? I mean, for you guys, or, or how long do you think it takes somebody to invest in a property before they're to a general maintenance? Yeah, it, it all depends on the equipment you have access to and then kind of the length you wanted. Like we've, we've chosen to, to do it the, the labor way. Like we love taking in some, to some chainsaws and hitting, hitting the spot for a day or two and moving on to another spot. And I think, I do think, um, being year four into this, I, I, I think by, by year 10, at least year eight to 10, we're going to be like in this cycle where like very, very small changes are happening. Um, maybe we're burning a new unit or something in the ground. Um, but for the most part, like the TSI is done. Um, so I, I do think like, it, it's a, like, you can speed up that process, get a Bobcat in there and, and just really go to town. Um, but as a land manager, your mind never really shuts off. Like it's, it's hard to not go into a year and have, have a big list of things you want to change. But, uh, I do think every property is different, but by, by that seven to 10 year range, like you're getting to a point where your property's really like the way you want it. Yeah. And that's what, you know, so many guys just, they think they're going to do something and then all of a sudden have that property like that that dream boat deer hunting property of that you see on the juries that's not how it works it takes years if not decades yeah you know to to build that piece of ground into something special into something you know like i have a buddy and he i i can't wait for him to listen to this episode because he's all into this type of stuff um and i've got a buddy and he's like i planted x amount of trees i planted 250 trees and i'm like dude that's you know, you're looking at 30 years before that even benefits you. And he's like, I know. And I can't wait. And I'm like, yeah, see, that's the mindset it takes. Like it takes thinking about things 20 years ahead of time. Like, dude, my kids are going to love hunting this tree row that I just planted. Yep. Like this is going to change this property forever in 20 years. Um, but that's how you create those properties that are just mind blowingly good deer hunting properties of not thinking, you know, one year at a time, but thinking the big picture, how can I make this something special? Yeah. And like most of us average Joe's are, are getting something like 80 acres or smaller too. So just like yeah, understanding that the deer are going to use it how they want. They're not like most of the time you're not having a deer that's living on it. Um, like a, a good buck, like you're having the deer that's using the area pretty heavy, but like we're just, we're not the jurors. We don't have the thousand acres where you can literally just like, you can keep a deer on your property, like from the time it hits the ground to when you shoot it, when it's six years old or whatever, like most of us don't have that. So like making your property as good as possible, understanding that your property is, is usually a pass through property, but you're going to make it the best dang pass through property they've ever seen. Yeah, for sure, man. And that's what, like I tell everybody, like, you have to know the, I don't want to say the worth of your ground, but you know, so many guys, they, they want pictures of the one eighties and they want to shoot the one eighties. And I'm like, but dude, you don't have one eighties. Like, yeah. So you gotta, you, 
you all you're set doing is setting yourself up for disappointment. Um, you know, like if, if I go, like when I go home, I hunt every year in Arkansas with my dad. Um, that's where my folks are from. That's where I was born and raised. So I, I go back home every year and hunt with my dad, dude, for, I live in Kansas. And so when I go back to Arkansas, like my expectations drop tremendously. I'm not saying right. like, well, dad, I got to wait for the 150 because there ain't going to be a 150 show up. Like that's yeah. just not how the state of Arkansas works. Are they there? Do they get killed? Yes. Very rarely. Um, and so it's not, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment and failure. Um, yeah. So know what you have. Know what your property's worth. Know what your property's worth. Know what your deer are worth. Um, you know, you can't kill a 180 if there's no 180 in your area. And you have to right. just accept that. Uh, if you want to kill 180, you got to go to where 180s are. Um, that's just the nature of the beast, man. Yeah. If it's, um, if it's legal, um, in your state, like run, run, run as many cameras as you can. Um, if that, if, if that's something that you want to do, because like having a small track, we like, there are certain days of the year, um, during the fall that we know like, okay, this, this buck is bedded on our ground. Like he's, he's living here these couple weeks. Um, but like our ground is not big enough to, to really keep them on year round. We like, we have a lot of seasonal movement with them. So, um, we attack when we can and when we know a deer's hanging out, but, um, that's kind of just the, how you hunt a small, smaller track. Yeah. Well, you just said it. You said run as many cameras as you can. How many acres? I'm, I'm sorry. You got 80 acres. How many cameras do you run on 80 acres? Um, during the season we'll run like, uh, gosh, 10 to 12 cells and a couple non-cells. So it's exactly what I was going to say because yeah. so many guys are like, well, I've only got, I've got 80 acres. So if I put a camera up here, if the deer are here, I'm going to see them. I'm like, Oh dude, you're so far from the truth. It's it is unbelievable, funny. dude. We'll have deer that only hang in the North 10 acres and won't touch the bottom seven. Yeah. I'm like, if we didn't have a camera there, we'd have no idea that deer exists. It's pretty, it's nuts, dude. I've got a place and it's literally only five acres, uh, only five acres. Now it's in the middle of Kansas and it's five acres of timber surrounded by, by corn, wheat, whatever's planted. So it's really good, yeah. but it's only five acres. I literally told my, I'm like, there's no way. Like if I put a camera up here, I'm going to see every deer that's on this five acres. Like it, it's five yeah. acres, dude. You could throw a rock across it. Um, but sure enough, dude, like one year I put a camera up here and I just had deer like crazy. I move it to the South end of the property and I'm like, I'm going to hunt here. It's a little easier to access. It's a little better. It's I didn't have, I had like three deer move through there. I'm like, what the heck? Well, they, they didn't come there. They just, I mean, yeah. Do you know the, the holders much at all? Warren Holder, David Holder, those guys race hunting. So Warren is really passionate about deer zones, if you will. Um, and how like I can have a camera here and have see the deer every day, but if I move it, you know, a hundred yards, I might not ever see that buck on camera again because that deer just stops right there. That's just his zone. He doesn't go further than that. Um, so yeah, man, however many cameras you can afford, put them up. Like that's, that's my tip, dude, because it's amazing how you just don't see the deer like you would think well, man it's only a hundred yard difference like from here to there it's only a yeah. hundred yards 
but it can make all the difference in, in the deer you see and the deer you get pictures of. And, oh, it's crazy, man. Yeah. They, for some reason, they, they just use every deer wants to go, go somewhere, somewhere different than the next deer. So I don't know. They all use it different. I've also had different sides of tree rows, like be different. Like you would think this tree row, man, whichever way I point it, I'm going to have the deer. But for some reason, they're always on the east side of the tree row rather than the west side of the tree row. And so, like, you just, man, run cameras, uh, a lot of cameras. That's my, or or have a lot of boots on the ground. I mean, if if you live on the piece of ground, so like my in-laws, you know, I don't have to run as many cameras there just because they they live on, they're always on the ground. So they can give me so much intel as to where what's happening. So, um, but yeah, in my opinion, you can never have too many cameras never yeah we live by the the same rule and it seems like our the giant bucks are always showing up on the non-sales so yeah (laughs) that's how it goes too that's how it goes for us buddy they're smart (laughs) yeah guys i oftentimes say that i always have a binocular harness on my chest what good is a binocular harness without a good set of binoculars i am a sucker for fine japanese glass i love good optics i love spending time behind it Um, it's just fun it's fun to go out and look at stuff um, but also good optics make spotting and looking through them a whole lot more enjoyable. Koa Optics does it and does it better than anyone else in my opinion. They have some of the finest Japanese glass on planet Earth. It's all I've used for the past I don't know, eight years or so. This right here, the Koa 55, is one of the best products ever made in the history of the universe. It is the smallest, most compact scope you can get, but it still offers phenomenal glass. It's really hard to find a, a spotter that is this small, this light, this compact. You can throw it in your backpack. You can leave it in your truck. It's so small and so compact, but it still offers phenomenal glass. This is one of my favorite products ever. Guys, if you're in the market for new optics, I would highly encourage you to check out Koa Optics because they are, in my opinion, the best glass that you can buy. Go check them out. Thomas, where can they find you guys at? Where can they... Which, by the way, guys, every time I've had them on, I've said this. They put out some of the best content in the outdoor industry. So if you're not following Identical Draw, you absolutely need to be because the quality of their content is unreal. So uh, where can they where can they find you guys at? Where can they watch you at? Appreciate that. Um, I mean, we post our videos on, on YouTube. Um, and then a lot of what we do is um, we create content for other businesses. So you can... We do, we post more of that stuff on our, our Instagram, I'd say. So YouTube and Instagram are, are a heavy uh, place to find. It's just at identical draw. Pretty easy. Yep. Pretty easy to find them guys. I would highly encourage you to. They're awesome. They put out great content on land management, on the things they're doing to, to better their deer. Um, so make sure and go follow identical draw and stay tuned for these incredible recurve, um, projects we're going to be working on because you're going to want to see them i promise guys thank you so much for listening you guys have a fantastic week 